today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment. And again, we don't equate Lot with those words, the godly. We don't look at that and see, but yet that's exactly where Peter is placing him. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us no temptation has come upon you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will allow, he will provide a means of escape. Let's face it, every once in a while, you and I, each one of us, we need a means of escape because we've placed ourselves, we've got ourselves into a place of temptation. We all at times will find ourselves in conditions that we wish we were not in, whether we are partakers of what is going on around us or not. Today, Pastor David will teach you that God desires to deliver you out of temptation. You only need to ask. Whatever is drawing you away from God, whether by flesh or by the world, God's desire is for you to be in fellowship with Him. Judgment is coming for the ungodly. God does not want anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Peter, chapters 2 and 3, as he concludes his message, Trouble from Within. chapter 2. But, he says, though those prophecies came, they came by the will of God, but there were also false prophets back then among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And they're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies. They're even going to deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. There's, there's those that are teaching that, that Jesus Christ is not God. Oh, maybe he is a God or he is a form of God. But the word of God says, no, he is God. As a matter of fact, he was crucified not because he did an abundance of miracles, but because he claimed himself to be God. And that was blasphemous to the Jews. He was crucified. And for any religion that says any less, they are a false religion with damnable heresies, according to what the Word says, bringing about that Jesus Christ is anything less than God. He says you need to be careful. They are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many are going to follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth is being blasphemed or will be blasphemed. By covetousness or greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And again, this comes back on this whole idea of of, of putting restrictions, putting the law of man upon you. They're going to exploit you with these deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber or sleep. In other words, God's God's not ignorant of these false teachings that are going on. 
there will come a time when judgment for all of that will be laid out. Look what he says. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And some say, well, uh, who is he speaking about? Which angels there? Is he speaking about all those that fell with Satan? Or is he speaking about those possibly in Genesis chapter 6, where again, in in the whole understanding of angels taking on uh, either uh, the bodies of men or or uh, taking on demonic possession on men, uh, Genesis chapter 6, that God has reserved them for judgment. Verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of ungodly. In other words, God came to a point and says, enough is enough. Noah, get your family in the ark. It's time. Judgment is coming. And then he speaks of another time of judgment from Genesis chapter 19. He says, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. So he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we get into Jude. But look what he says here in verse 7. And he delivered who? But what does he say about Lot? Righteous Lot. We don't think about Lot as righteous, do we? But listen to what he says here, because he says it three times. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Let me stop right now and just give you my opinion of what's taking place here. Lot had been with his uncle Abraham for a while. I have absolutely no doubt that Abraham was pouring into Lot as well as the rest of his family and probably even into his servants the reality of the one true God that called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, that called him to a land that he was going to show him. I believe without a doubt that Abraham probably poured into Lot. And when that time came that Lot was going to separate because of the, the battle between you know, space enough for all of their herds, Lot just got into the flesh. He said, man, that looks really good, that valley down there. I want to go down there. He didn't consider the consequences of his decision in the flesh. It doesn't mean that he wasn't, uh, again, a child of God. It didn't mean that he didn't love God. He just made a really bad decision. And he found himself in a condition that I think for every one of us, we found ourselves at times in conditions that we wish we weren't in. And I believe that that's what happened with Lot. And once he got down there, and once he realized what he was in, but he's got all of his family, he's got his herds, he's got everything there. As a matter of fact, when we read through that, he was from the outside, and he moved in, and moved. pretty soon he's in the city. But yet, he's not a part of that city. Because we read even uh, when we look at that Genesis account, that those men in Sodom and Gomorrah, they said, you come in here and you try to be our judge. That's what they accused Lot of. So we know that there is, Lot's not a partaker of this wickedness, but he's in the midst of it. And beloved, sometimes you and I as believers, we can step out of the favor of God, that blessing of God. We can step into the things of this world. We can step into the things of the flesh. And man, our spirit, we know, is being vexed. But for some reason, we're being drawn either by the flesh or by the world, by stupidity, whatever the case might be. And we find ourselves in a situation, man, there's no peace here. There's no presence of the grace of God here. God delivered him, though, 
in the midst of that. And what a blessing. I read that and I think, again, the grace of God, the grace of God, not my abilities, but it is the grace of God that even in my stupidity, he delivers me. And beloved, that's what I see here. That righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how. If the Lord delivered Lot, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the just under punishment for the day of judgment. And again, we don't equate Lot with those words, the godly. We don't look at that and see, but yet that's exactly where Peter is placing him. First Corinthians 10 tells us, no temptations come upon you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will allow, he will provide a means of escape. Let's face it, every once in a while, you and I, each one of us, we need a means of escape because we've placed ourselves, we've got ourselves into a place of temptation. And we either follow through with that temptation or we look and say, Lord, get me out of this. And that's what he's done with righteous Lot. He delivered him out of that. He says, especially for those who walk according to the flesh, there is going to be judgment. Verse, verse 90 talked about that judgment, especially for those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of the uncleanness and despise authority. Now, this isn't the believer. This isn't, this isn't the lot who has stumbled into wickedness or found himself there. No, this is the one who is unjust. This is the wicked. This is those who despise authority. These are the ones who are presumptuous. These are the ones who are self-willed. These are the ones who are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Again, this is not a believer. No, this is, this is the wicked. And God says he will bring judgment on that. Just like he says in verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a rivaling accusation against them before the Lord. He says these, man, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And again, we'll look at that more in, in Jude. Because again, Jude, um, written just a couple of years after Second Peter, takes a lot of what we see in Second Peter. Some of it he, he shrinks down, gives kind of an abbreviated uh, portion of it. Some of it he kind of blows out and helps us to be able to understand a little bit more of what he's saying. But let's go on. Because again, Peter says these false ones, these, these wicked ones, these are like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deception while they feast with you. Now you've got to stop here and you've got to back up and you've got to realize what is he saying? These brute beasts, these, uh, again, the, these presumptuous ones, these self-willed ones, these are, aren't afraid to speak against dignitaries. They're among you. They're in with you. God's going to bring judgment on them, he says. Don't worry about that. God's going to bring judgment. But you need to have your antenna up, and you need to be, again, discerning in this because they are there among you, and even as he says, they're right there. They're feasting with you. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, that greed, and, and they are accursed children. These are unbelievers that are within the body of Christ who, again, on the outside, have an appearance. They have a surface 
semblance of perhaps Christianity. They may know all the lingo. They may know all the words. They may go through all the rituals and all the ceremonies. But Peter said, no, they're not at all. They, they are false. They're accursed children. They have forsaken, verse 15, they have forsaken the right way. They've gone astray, following the ways of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And again, Balaam was, was the prophet for a hire. You pay me enough, I'll prophesy whatever you want me to do. You know, and, or, or, or like many unfortunate, many preachers today that are more than willing to preach a very palatable, convenient gospel in order to grow the church, in order to grow their own stature and their own wealth. They're very able to preach something that just makes you feel good and all, all cuddly inside in order to just get bigger and better crowds. And see, that's the same thing that's going on here. They, they are prophets for hire. They are Balaam's. But Balaam, verse 16, he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And then Peter says, these are like wells without water. They're clouds carried around by, by a strong wind. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's a powerful declaration. Why is he putting that on these? Because they are leading so many people astray. They're within the church and they're drawing people after them. They're drawing people in deceitfulness. They're drawing people into lies. That's why Peter says, man, you got to have your guard up. You have to have your antenna. Be discerning of that because for them is reserved the darkness or the blackness of darkness forever. Oh, they come. They're going to speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Or one version says, who have barely escaped. So they're drawing them back into those things. Oh, they promise them liberty, yet they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. For it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. i got to stop right here and look at this. Is he talking about the redeemed? Is he talking about the sons of God? Is he talking about those who are born again? Is he talking about the generated, the regenerated ones, the elect here? Or is he speaking of the false prophets? I believe that he's speaking of the false prophets, not of anyone who has been saved and then pulled back into it. Because when you look at verse 21, he says, because of them is a true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, a sow or a pig having washed to her wallowing. That dog was never changed. It's still a dog. That pig never was changed. It got cleaned up on the outside. It's like what they say, putting lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig, okay? You, you wash that dog up, and, and he's going to return nice as that dog is. He, he eats stuff, and, you know, I, I don't want that dog kissing me. Uh, so, again, that's what he's saying. It's still a dog, and it's still a pig. 
It doesn't say anything about cats, and I don't understand that, but uh, (laughs) chapter three. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, and both of which, man, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers are going to come. They're going to come in the last days. And guys, they, they believed that they were in the last days. Jesus said that they were in the last days. They were in the last days. What you and I are in, we are in the last of the last days. He says, scoffers are going to come in the last days. They're going to walk according to their own lust. And they're going to be saying, oh, sure, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue on as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, they forget the judgment of God that Peter just spoke about. He goes on, he says, they willfully forget, verse 5, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the word that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But then he says, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. God promised he's not going to flood us again. The rainbow that he gave, that was a promise that he would never flood the earth again. But what he has says, no, it's all going to burn. He's going to burn. It's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be done away with. Reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. The reason that it's waited, the reason it hasn't changed, the reason judgment has not come yet, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord isn't slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. He's long suffering toward us. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Let me throw this out real quick. How many of you came to Christ? I'll I'll just take my birth date. How many of you came to Christ since 1970? You've made a commitment to the Lord. You started following the Lord. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't come in 1970? Yeah. See, it's his patience. It's his long suffering. He, he, He doesn't want anyone to perish. God loved the world that he gave his son in order that whoever believed might have everlasting life. And that offer still goes out, that whoever believes, whoever commits their lives to him, whoever comes to that point of surrendering all and and giving to him might have everlasting life. And I see that promise and I see the long suffering and the patience of God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then he gives that warning, but The day of the Lord is going to come, and it's going to come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Real quick, look over in Revelation 21. Probably familiar to nearly all of you. Revelation 21, verse 1. And the whole vision that 
God gave John the apostle. In Revelation 21, John writes in verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You see, God transported him into the future and says, all of these things are going to come about. There's going to come that new heaven and that new earth. Why? Because just as Peter says, the old one has burnt up. God has destroyed it with fire. Back in Second Peter, verse 14 of chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Here's that word again. Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I joke with you probably all too often about the fact that I'm waiting for the Lord's return and, and I hope he returns while I'm preaching, while, while I'm at the pulpit, because by and large, I'm probably not going to be screwing up at that point in time, okay? That, that's why I want... But the fact is that wherever we're at, we've got to be diligent to be found in him without spot and blameless. If I've had a, the horrible week, if I've had a, a bad situation, I need to be knowledge that, man, any day the Lord could come, a thief in the night coming. We've got to be prepared. And just like Jesus says, if you'd have known when the thief was coming, you'd have been ready. You'd have been prepared for him. That's why he says, I'm coming as that thief in the night. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. And that's what Peter is warning him. He says, number one, in the church, keep your antenna up. Watch out for deceivers. But also you yourself. Keep yourself spotless from this world. Be diligent to be found in him. As he goes on, and consider, verse 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scripture. What is it that's so hard that Paul writes that's so hard to understand? I believe that more than anything, it is the grace of God. It's not by the works of man, it's by the grace of God. You see, mankind just doesn't understand that. I've got to do something to gain my salvation. I've got to do some kind of work of penance. I've got to do some kind of act of devotion. I've got to do something. He says, no, it's the grace of God and you receive it through faith. It's not of yourselves, otherwise you'd be boasting. And people struggle with that. They don't understand that. It's a difficult thing, and they twist it around. Oh yeah, it is grace through faith, plus this, plus that. And yet, no, that's not what the word declares. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this already, in other words, right now, we all know it. All of you here, you, we're, we're going to be without excuse. We can't claim dumbness anymore. He says, you know this beforehand. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. In other words, those deceitful false teachers leading you away and into, again, not the grace of God, but, again, the work and the desires of man. He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he ends it, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Surprisingly and sadly, 
too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word. Make us more.